Sunday back with us. Welcome back. Amen. Appreciate you being here today. Welcome, Facebook guys. We just love you guys. And uh, nothing takes the place. Uh, Jennifer Strachner told me and Jimmy last Sunday so well after the service. I said, you know, we've been watching on Facebook, but it's nothing like being in the service here. Live in the service. It just nothing <laughs> takes the place. You know, it's okay for me to FaceTime with my wife, but when I'm actually in a room with her, I'm going to put this down. Amen. I'd rather have the, the real. Amen. So we appreciate you. Thank you for being here today. I'm going to let you go ahead and be seated. You know, there's times I give them a title and uh, of what I'm going to preach on, and by the time I get here, some you know, this don't happen a lot, but I just don't feel like talking about that. How about that? Uh, the title is, Is Jesus Enough? And where my heart was going with that is, you know, just that question, is Jesus enough or do we feel like that we have to do something to complete the work that Jesus came to do? And, of course, the answer to that is no. But I guess what I am just feeling, you know, more strongly to just go after and talk to you about is just how do you deal with the seemingly um, contradictory things in our lives sometimes that what we say we believe and then what we experience is, you know, just two totally different things. And uh, we stand on the Word of God, and I've had some people even this week to text and email me, and, and I hope maybe even next Sunday I had, I had some people out from my, my Texas friends and folks that watch us uh, was asking me about, you know, how does, does God discipline his children? Uh, you know, what happens when we sin? What, you know, what, you know, does God uh, spank us, scourge us? You know, well, God loves me, but he also spanks me or corrects me or whatever. And some of those words and terms get all uh, messed up. And out of all the verses in the New Testament, there's one in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, we won't turn there, that talks about that God scourges every son that he receives it. But it actually uses the word scourges. And if you look at the Greek of that word, it's the exact same word that happened to Jesus when they took him to the whipping post and that the Romans scourged Christ. And so you can't make it into a different word. It's the same word. And so if you try to tr stay true to biblical interpretation, you got to say that when we as sons mess up, that God takes the cat of nine tails, the whip, and rips the flesh off our back. How many knows that doesn't sound like a, our father? And you go, what in the world is that about? And, and, and so I've had some people even ask me about this week. But, but you gotta, you got to understand this, and not to, I shouldn't even mention that if I wasn't going to preach on it. But the writer of Hebrews is quoting out of Proverbs 3. And you got to understand that those Bibles you hold in your lap are translations of the original language. And, uh, and so they're quoting out of Proverbs 3 where it doesn't use the word scourge. It just says every son he receives, he instructs. He uh, disciples, disciplines them. How many knows there's a difference being discipled by someone and having been beaten by someone? Amen. And I think one thing that grace teaches us, you know, you, 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 you cannot hold God hostage based on one event in your life. And I see this all the time. And, and, and what you think about, what you believe determines everything. In other words, what you believe about God determines what you're going to see even in your life and in your daily life. In other words, if you don't believe that God heals today, guess what you will never see or experience? The healing power of God. Because you don't believe in it. You're not believing for that. And uh, there are people, though, that have, have tried to hold God hostage. I don't know any other way of saying it. And they say, well, if you're a good God, if you're a loving God, then you're going to do X, Y, Z for me. In other words, you're going to cause this situation to come out like I want it. But what are you going to do if it doesn't come out like you want it? So are you going to allow that to be that one thing? In other words, where you're going to bring God on trial, you're going to force God to, to move in the way that you want him to move, or you're going to come to the conclusion that God's not good or that God's not loving or you just get yourself all messed up and confused. I've asked you this before, but there, there is a passage in the New Testament where we see Jesus, and we're watching this scene. The writer is writing about what Jesus did, and he went into the temple, and remember the money changers, those people there that were, 
were merchandising things and, and, and for their own wealth and, and all that stuff. And so Jesus goes in. He's very angry with that. He actually contemplates what he's going to do, and he takes the time, the New Testament says, to form and build a whip. Okay? Is that in the Bible? And then he goes after those guys, and he turns their tables over, and he, he drives them out of the temple. He forces them out. Now, let me ask you this. If that was the only Bible verses that you had about Jesus, what would your opinion of him be? In other words, just forget that you know anything else about Jesus other than that's the one area that you know, that's the only part of the Bible that you have, is you have that image of Jesus. What kind of Jesus would you be praying to? And what would you think about that Jesus if that was all that you saw? You wouldn't have a very good opinion of him, would you? Well, is that, is that view of Jesus inaccurate? Well, hang on now. Is it inaccurate or is it just incomplete? We don't, we don't have a complete view. We just have one slice. You remember the Polaroid cameras? I think maybe they're still out there. Remember you take the picture and it spits out the picture right then? Remember, right? You know that we all have had Polaroid moments in our life where if somebody had the camera at that moment and they took the picture, we wouldn't look very much like a Christian because we weren't acting like a Christian. You might have been cussing somebody out. <laughs> Y'all don't look at me so holy. You might, in other words, that, that one image captured, you, then people will try to define you by that moment. That's what we've done with God. We've tried to, to define God sometimes. And listen, most people, most people don't allow the Bible to get in the way of their theology. Most people do not allow the Bible to interfere with what they believe. Most of us have grown up, those of us have grown up in church, we, listen, we did not go to the Bible and sit down with the Bible by ourselves and start reading the Bible and come up with what we believe. Didn't do it. We got our theology, our belief, by listening to somebody like me talking to you. And we got preached to, you were raised Baptist, you were raised Methodist, you were raised Catholic, you were raised whatever, or you were raised heathen. Anybody know that denomination? Very popular. A lot of members. <laughs> and those things in your life that you were told helped form your belief system. Then when things are not going right, we want people to change and, and we tell them the behavior that we want them to portray. Stop doing that. Don't drink this. Don't eat this. Don't whatever. And we want them to line up with that. But there is something in a person's belief system that causes them to behave in the way that they behave. And you will never change a person's behavior until you change what they believe. And, and I'm not talking about what necessarily you believe. See, listen, Christian maturity... This thing about Christian maturity is not about you trying to grow up your spirit. Your spirit, at the moment you were born again, is as good as it's ever going to be. You, you don't grow up your spirit. You don't mature your spirit. You don't grow in your spirit. You were born again, and your spirit was born again perfectly. It was born Again, by the Spirit of God. And, and the Bible says in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, that, that God is the God of the, of the Spirit. He's a, he, he's a Spirit of just men made perfect. In other words, what, what, what part of you made perfect? And, this, you know, and I talk about this a lot because it's such a popular thing. Well, nobody's perfect. And I told you one of the blogs that I did, one of the articles that I put out that I got so much response about was I said, good people don't go to heaven, only perfect people go to heaven. Oh, good God, here they come. The religious were awakened. Because I, I said the opposite of what they were used to hearing. I said only perfect people go to heaven. And I still say that because that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says in, in, in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, it, it, it talks about, and he's writing to the Jewish people, and he is saying to them that these sacrifices that they, you've offered through this Jewish system, the Hebrew system, the Old Covenant, these sacrifices that you have offered 
of the lambs and the bullocks and the, all these animal sacrifices were not able to make those who offered them perfect. And so we see right there in verse 1 of Hebrews 10 that, that, that God's goal was to make people perfect. That's God's goal. And uh, maybe you could just put that verse up, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, and we'll just, let's just look at see what it says. I've got to read some scripture because it won't be a legal meeting if I didn't. And it says, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come. There, were good, there was something good coming, but the law was just a shadow of it. And listen, not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. Right there, God says, I want to make those who approach me perfect because you have to be to approach a perfect God. And if you don't understand that the part of you that God made perfect when you were born again was your spirit, you're going to live a confused life. It says for verse 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? In other words, if it worked, he said, if it worked, wouldn't you stop it? I mean, you don't need surgery but so many times. You don't keep doing surgery on the same person every day doing the same surgery because if the first surgery works, you don't do surgery no more. Right? For he says, for if it worked, would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, how many times purified? Once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. Now listen to me. If you, have a, if you live your Christian life trying to defeat sin, thinking about sin, conscious of sin, I don't mean this mean, but you do not understand grace. You do not understand the grace of God if you live your, and I know a lot of churches, that'll get you kicked out right there because that's the opposite of what, how, we, how we've been taught. And, and you know, we, we make such a big deal. We got to defeat sin, talk about sin, preach against sin, resist sin, you know, and, and we make that. What you're saying is the offering didn't work. For listen, verse 3, but in those sacrifices, this whole covenant stuff, there is a reminder of sins every year. Most people that go to church are reminded of their sins every Sunday. And most of you that live with a sin conscious are reminded of your sins every day and really every hour of the day. And if you live in that way, you don't, you don't understand grace. You don't understand what Jesus came to do. In verse 4, for it is not possible but that the blood of bulls and, and goats could take away sin. Jesus came to take away sin. He didn't come to cover. He, he came to remove it, and either he did or he did not. And if he did, then you've got to understand that the Bible calls it, in, in that same chapter of Hebrews 10, an evil conscience. What is an evil conscience? An evil conscience is a conscience that is always focusing on sin. The Bible says laying aside every sin and the weight thereof that so does easily hinders us and you go, well, how do you do that? Next verse, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. So what do you focus on? How do you overcome? How do you have the victory? You focus on Jesus. You don't focus on sin. You don't focus on the problem. The Bible says in the 16th verse of Hebrews 10, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts. Now, he's not talking about the old covenant law. He's talking about the law of the spirit of grace in life that he talks about on in, the, in, in, the, in the epistles. He says, and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, their sins, listen to this, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, either that's the truth or it is not. So if that's true, if God says I will not remember your sins any longer, then stop going around telling people the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin. Because you can't have it both ways. Is the Holy Spirit God? Really? Sure he is. So he's not, if, if he's not remembering your sins, then he's not remembering your sins. Well, who's telling me that? That's an evil conscience. That's your own conscience disguising itself, howbeit as the Holy Spirit, God's not condemning you. God's not, God's not convicting you. God's trying to convince you that the Bible's true. Listen, Christian maturity is not you trying to grow up your spirit. It's for you to, to, to renew your mind to the reality of what Jesus did when you were born again. He made you into a totally new creation. 
And, and until you get that, until you believe that, now we could talk about this and we could talk about everything, but a lot of, they just, you people just don't get it. It says that, that their sins and their lawless deeds, I remember no more, verse 18, where now where there is remission of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Now where there is remission, when there is a remission of these, there is no longer any, there's no more offering for sin. Now what are you going to offer God now? What offering would you bring? God's already brought Jesus. What are you going to bring? Your tears? Your broken heart? See how quiet it is? Sin consciousness has been just ground into us. And grace is not the way the world operates. You hear me? Grace is not how this world operates. Your employer did not hire you based on grace. And I, I'm just going to hire you, and I'm going to pay you no matter your performance. You're going to get a full check every week regardless of your performance. Anybody get hired on a job like that? No way. That's not how the world works. Your, your employer doesn't hire you. The, you know, really, I hate to say it, but marriage doesn't work that way. I'm a little cynical because I've seen so much stuff. I, you know, as a pastor now, I'm just going to tell people, look, we know, I'm not doing them vows because it ain't no sense in y'all lying in front of God, me and everybody. We're not going to say for better or for worse because when it gets to worse, you're going to dump his butt and she's going to dump you or whatever. And so let's just leave that out. Let's just say for better and just leave it there. But let's don't say for better or worse because when it gets worse, you've got a worse list that you're going to break the covenant because of. So let's don't lie and say for better or worse. Let's just say for better is all I'm, I mean it for better. If it gets worse, I'm out of here. I'm swapping you for a new one. Right? Come on now. Y'all might well say, man, that's the way it is in the real world. I'm out here in the real world. That's how it is. Ain't no better or worse. Only God's better or worse. God don't, God's, God's the only one. And it, but it should be that way. But that's where humans are trying to do unconditional love, and only God's good at that. Come on now. In earth, I'm telling you, everything is based on performance. And because it is... It always forces us to focus on our weaknesses. I said everything in this world system is based on your performance, and it forces you to focus on your, your weaknesses. The, that performance mentality has transferred itself right into the church. It's fit nicely because people love law. And, and we're taught to focus on sin. But I want to tell you this. God's, it, it, where God is concerned in regard to sin, he's not concerned with it. But because, listen, because our sin is not being imputed or charged to our account. Why isn't it? Because your sin that you do now is being charged to Jesus' account, but he's already got a full bank load of, he's paid for it. He, in other words, he's deposited sufficient funds in the account. It's been paid for. There's not a sin that you can do, one bad enough or enough in, new, in number that, that will bankrupt that account. Am I making sense? Your sin account has a zero balance. Now, all that to say, I'm not encouraging you to sin. You got to have a spirit of stupid to accuse me of that. I'm, I'm not encouraging you to sin because sin hurts the sinner and, the, and people that are around the sinner. In other words, God doesn't want you to do it Sin has its own nasty built into it. It's just, it's just not good. The wages of sin is death. God's not spanking you. God's not paying you back. God's not whipping you. But when you sin, you're going to hurt yourself because sin is, not, is really not good. It's really not good. If you put your hand on the hot eye of the stove, you're going to burn yourself, but it's not God's fault. Now, you're going to suffer a while. But God's not trying to teach you something. You should have just had better sense to don't put your hand on there because it's going to hurt you. So that's the way sin is. God has removed the judgment, the penalty of sin, but the consequences of sin are still real. I said the consequences of sin, the consequences of believers even making bad decisions, bad choices. It brings bad things into your life. But listen what it does not do. It does not change God's view of you, and it does not change your spirit. 
Now, sinning is stupid because there's, there's two other parts of you. That's your soul, which is your mind, will, and your emotion. That's not the same as your spirit. The New Testament's clear on that. And then there's the physical body, right? And so when you sin, you open yourself up for attack in those two areas, in the area of your soul, your mind, your emotions, or your physical body. If you go out and commit uh, uh, sexual sins with just strange, you're very likely to end up with some kind of disease. But you're, you're, in other words, you're opening yourself up for these type things. But if you're truly born of the Spirit, it doesn't affect your spirit. Sin can't get to that. That's why 1 John teaches this, that, 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 that those that are born of God cannot sin, for it is impossible for them to sin. What's he talking about? That doesn't make sense. He's talking about your spirit. And if we would learn, and like I've said so many times, to live out of that revelation of that spirit. I know a lot of the church will you know, throw you out for saying really what the Bible teaches. But it's time to let the Bible get in the way of wrong theology. We, we, we should allow the Word of God. And I know that how I was raised in, in, in church, and I've been at this for a while now, but I was raised in something, and, and I'm in a totally different theological view than what I was raised in. I was raised in a very legalistic, law-based, rule-keeping deal. And, and, but over the years, especially when I began to minister, the Bible began to adjust my belief system. I began to read in the Bible where things that I was taught did not line up with what the Bible says. And the Bible itself began to bring adjustment into my, in my mind. What's that going on? My mind is being renewed. My mind is beginning to line up with what God says. And, 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 when, you, and when you believe that, then it changes your behavior. It, it, cha it changes your life. And so, but you know, sometimes things just don't go like we want them to go. And even I was communicating last night with my, my youngest son and by text, and he had sent me something and just stirred my heart in regard to this. And I remember when he turned 18 years old, I mean, it was right on his birthday, we found out he had a heart condition. We found out because he went into atrial field severe. And I had to follow an ambulance to Tifton, and they could never get him converted out. And then I followed that ambulance to Atlanta, to Emory University. And I remember after a couple of days of that, the doctors talked to me and my wife and said, if we don't get him converted out, you know, he's not going to come out. And I didn't want to even know what that meant after that, you know. Heart transplant or whatever is the only thing I could assume here. And, um, but anyway, so, but so started a, a real severe season of great concern for our son. And uh, you don't think we prayed? Sure we did. And I remember right in the middle of that, and this may not make any sense to a lot of people, but right in the middle of that, and me preaching every Sunday and pastoring and, and all that, but you still got to try to put the pieces together somehow. What's going on? Why don't this not? And so we're, we're having... Uh, it was actually, I think, during uh, our celebration that we did and still do, you know, but the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And, uh, and I remember, and you may not believe in this, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I really don't. Um, but I felt like, you know, I was like, God, what's on your heart, man? And I always pray like that. God, you know, what, what do you want to do? I'm up for whatever. I'm here. And uh, you want to do something really powerful, I'm your guy. I would like to do more than just teach a little sermonette to Christianettes, you know, but I'm available. You want to do something really huge, I'm your guy. I'm on duty. Let's go, Papa. Let's get it done. That's why I prayed today. And I remember I was praying, and, and God spoke to me and said, and it came into my heart, and, and I felt like God, you know, was said, I want to heal Two specific things tonight. That wasn't saying that was all he wanted to do, but how I many knows we still believe we, we still serve a God that heals. And so, one of the things that gets mighty confusing is there's a Psalm 103, Psalm 103, verse 123. Listen to Psalm 103. It says, "Bless the Lord." This is David writing. "Bless the Lord, O my what? Not O my spirit. At this time, his spirit's not born again." 
But he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's like David's talking to his soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. In other words, verse 1, David is saying, I got to talk to myself. And I got to tell God, no matter what, my soul has got to line up with what God, I got to bless him regardless. And then verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Why did he say, and forget not all his benefits? Because you're going to have plenty of opportunity to forget all of his benefits. Because when you're going through, as they say, hell with gas drawers on, you're going to have a real opportunity to forget that God's good. When you're suffering, when you're hurting, when your life's not going like you planned it, you're going to have a real opportunity in that moment to forget that God is good and this ain't from him. Verse 3, this is his benefits. Okay, you want to find out what your benefits? This is his benefits. Who forgives how many of your iniquity, sins? All. I want to tell you what all means in the Greek. All. I want to tell you what all means in Hebrew. All. All your iniquities. The ones you haven't done yet are included in all. Who heals how many of your diseases? Wait now. Flag on the play. Wait a minute. All right, now he said he forgives all my sin. I can accept that. But he also said in the same verse that he heals all my diseases. But now I had a disease and I prayed and he didn't heal it. So how am I supposed to do that? My son had a disease. I prayed for him and he didn't get healed. So what am I supposed to do with that? Now who's lying here? Is this not true? Is this a lie? Does God really heal all your diseases? Well, if he did heal all my diseases, why ain't my disease healed? So right in between there, is an area called faith. And I want to tell you something that Christians want to do a lot of times that's really harmful. You want to live without mystery. The Bible is filled with New Testament words about mystery. And if you want to live a life with full understanding and comprehension and without mystery, you're in the wrong world. Because you, you, actually what you don't know is probably more important to you than what you do know. And in fact, only in the realm where there is mystery, which is a lack of understanding, does faith operate. It is in that realm of not knowing, not seeing, not smelling, not touching, not tasting, that that's where faith in God operates right in that realm right there. And, that's, that, and, and, that, and we try to live our lives. We say, well, I just want to understand. I just want to understand. And then you're also saying, I want peace. So, oh, God, give me peace. Give me peace. God didn't come to give you peace like a prescription. God came to be your peace. Okay, but listen to me. The Bible says, it talks about in the New Testament, peace that, that passes, surpasses understanding. Listen, so if you want the peace, you got to give up your right to understand everything. Because you can't have both. You, if you want the peace that surpasses understanding, you've got to say, I don't have the right to hold God on trial to make him explain everything to me. I don't have to know it all. I don't have to have it all figured out. It don't all have to line up like I want it. Now, I've had people tell me, I've been pastoring a long time, 34 years I've been preaching this gospel. But I've had people say, well, I just want to give God praise, you know, uh, you know, I, I had this, I got in this horrible car wreck and like to die and I give my life to the Lord and then my wife got saved and then my parents and we just had revival. I just want to praise God for the car wreck. Something like that. Or I just want to give God praise, you know, I got cancer and, and I, I wasn't even thinking about God and I got cancer and I was laying in that hospital bed and you know, I found that Gideon Bible over there in the drawer and I started reading it and I got saved and then my wife got saved and then we all got saved and I just appreciate the Lord allowing me to have that cancer and endure that because it brought great revival. Ain't none of that true. Well, part of it's true. God being good and all that. But God didn't bring you cancer. See, God didn't need to bring cancer to save you. He brought his son to save you. And God didn't put you in a car wreck, and God didn't do any of that. But I, I understand, based in the world of the religion, the confusion that gets on people, and they begin to attribute things like that to God, and that's not God at all. 
there's no, I mean, I'm not saying doubt your salvation, praise God. But I mean, you know, you, you got saved. That just means you turned to God during that time and you wouldn't turn to him another time. Well, I want God to do this. I want God to do this. Listen, God, God's not waiting on anybody. I mean, the day of salvation is today. God don't have a red circle on the calendar date three years from now to save your husband, lady. That's, God don't have that. God's got the day circle to save your husband. He's just too hard-headed to give it up for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And, but it's not, I want you to understand, it's not based on God not wanting to do it. And our healing is the same way. Our healing is not based on God not wanting to do it. I'm trying to teach you something or, or whatever. In John chapter 9, the message Bible does it justice. But in John 9, the disciples are walking down the road, and they see this man blind. And these are disciples now. These are not raging heathens. These are guys under tutorship from Jesus. And they say, Lord, who sinned that he was born blind? Did he sin or was it his parents? In other words, the first thing that we want to do is we want to find out why this has happened. Why did this occur in my life? Why did this injustice? Why did this pain? Why did this trauma? Why did this happen? Why was this allowed to occur in my life? And we're looking for cause and effect. We're looking for someone to blame. And in fact, if you, if you read John chapter 9 in the Message Bible, this is not uh, verse 1, 2, 3. This is a message. I don't think we have that to go up. But listen, listen to what it says, John 9 and 1. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a blind man, from, uh, saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents causing him to be born blind? Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. If you ask the wrong question, you get a wrong answer, right? Here's wrong questions that Christian asks all the time. God, why did you allow this? Wrong question. You already got God convicted that he allowed it. You're not going to get an answer from that, no matter how much you pray and fast, and you're going to have a bad view of God. Because why? Because God's bad? No, your question's bad. He said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. That's, that's the great translation of that paraphrase of those verses. The King James and all doesn't do it really, uh, New King James doesn't do it very much justice. It says, you know, he says neither. He said, who, who was born, I mean, you know, who sinned? He was born blind. And his parents are him. And, and in the other translations, most of them render it neither. The word neither there is the Greek word it is translated many times no. Jesus is just saying, no, I'm not going to let you pull me in that hole. No, we're not playing that game. No. It ain't about neither one of them. Stop trying to get cause and effect here. All you should do in a moment like that is seek how to bring glory to God. Don't try to be the person that figures out why everything happens. Just say, what can I do now? What is my responsibility as a believer on earth, as an ambassador for Christ, standing here in this moment, what am I to do faced with this situation, circumstance, or pain, or trauma? What is my responsibility right now? My responsibility is shine, shine, shine for the kingdom. My responsibility is to be light in darkness. My responsibility is lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. My responsibility is cast out devils in the name of Jesus. My responsibility is just pray the prayer of faith. My responsibility is speak the word of God. My responsibility is to stand there focusing on Jesus. Y'all just let me know when I start preaching. See, we got to get out of all this. And boy, you get sucked into that pit, it'll drown you. So my son gets diagnosed. We have bad heart situations. We've had situations where I thought that they, he was going to die. I remember one time uh, I told you I had, had both my hands on his ankles in the emergency room. And they were, uh, and I was a paramedic for 20 years. Most of you know that. But, so I have an understanding of, of some medical. And I was watching the monitors. I was watching his blood pressure. I was watching his heart rate. And uh, he got diagnosed with uh, myocardial uh, opathy, the, the, the uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, thickening of the heart muscle. So thick, in fact, that it's hard for blood to, to go through the valves and the passageways. And, uh, and we, we went through a season. We were having a really tough time. And I remember I was standing there one time, and I said, uh, and I, I just said out loud to the doctors and nurses, I said, please don't kill him trying to save him. 
That's exactly what I said to him. Because I felt like we was on that thin line. You know what I'm saying? It go either way, man. And I was praying. And uh, I owe all my gray hairs to, to my youngest son. <laughs> Not his fault. But he sent me something last night. And he said, Dad, uh, what's this? He said, this reminds me a lot of me and you. And uh, it was Bill Johnson. I don't know if you know this guy. He's a pastor in Northern California. And he was talking with his son who was born deaf. And his son was born deaf. And if you hear him speak, you can tell that he's a person that's never really heard language. Because he very notably in his speech, he in fact is the pastor of Bethel Church because Bill travels so much. And Austin sent this little clip to me last night, and he said, Dad, you know, just watch this. I'd actually had seen it before. And, uh, but they were talking about how many people that they had seen in their ministry over the years healed of deafness. And, in fact, his son had prayed for people in different countries. I think Brazil was one. And he, under his hand, had laid hands on deaf people, himself being deaf, and prayed for them, and they received their, their, their hearing. And he went home deaf. And all these many, many years now, he's been praying for healing, and it hadn't manifested. And he's a pastor. And his dad, they said one night in Dallas at a huge conference years ago, they saw 82 people with, with hearing problems healed instantly. Nobody laying hands on them. They, God just come through and just healed 82, 82 in Dallas, Texas was healed of hearing. And uh, they were in that meeting, and, uh, he, and he comes home to a son that's deaf. How do you deal with that? You know, when you pray for your loved one that's got cancer and they don't get healed and you bury them? I mean, how do you deal with it? What, what kind of view are you going to take? What kind of position are you going to take? So I remember I was praying that day, and, I, and God said to me, said, before that service that night, my mind is upon my son, and we had prayed for him several times, opportunities to lay hands on him, and we still believe, and I know for a fact God heals, and I've seen tremendous miracles. And God said, I want to heal of a little finger, and I want to heal. He said, little finger. <laughs> Only time in my life that God ever spoke to me about a little finger. But he said, I want to heal of a little finger, and he meant little finger. And he said, and I want to heal where there's been broken bones and screws and plates in somebody. This was in that afternoon, and I went to service that night. And you have to speak these things out in faith if, you, if God is saying something. What it does is it just illuminates the faith that's in people because they were like, well, how would this guy know? And so I, I, which, one do you, which one do you think I prayed for first? <laughs> Take a guess. Yeah, okay, here we go. So I'll go for the easy one first. And in that moment, now some churches and pastors don't even play this at all. And I'm not playing. I'm just saying they would never even have the heart to venture there. Because they love themselves too much to put themselves in that vulnerable situation. So, I, and I'm not saying I'm great on Canada. I'm just saying, that's just, let's, if you're going to see it, you got to go for it. So, I'm, you know, it's not like a packed house or nothing on that night. And, and I'm in my church there where I pastored at Cornerstone. And I said, is there a person here that has, a, you know, problem pain in your little finger? Your little finger. How many knows that that's not something, you know, that's not one you call out often? And so I'm going to call that out. And you know I have the opportunity for nobody to respond and say nothing. And for me to look like a total idiot. And say amen and go home. And so a lady who I'm still friends with on Facebook. I know her well. But I, I didn't know she was suffering with that. And I said, is anybody here with that? And she raised her hand. She said, that's me. And I said, come here and tell me about it. And she said, I've been hurting in my little fingers. She's not debilitating. She said, it's just aggravating. For about 90 days. And I'm like, well, this is it. So I just took hold of her little finger. And I said, believe God. And I commanded healing to, to occur, and it did. And I, and I looked at her. I remember I said to her, and I said, listen, we ain't got to play church game. Are you, are you still hurting? Because I asked her before I prayed, are you hurting? She said, yes. We prayed. I asked her, are you still hurting? She said, no. I said, now, you don't have to cover for me or God. If you're still hurting, you, it's okay to say so. She said, no, I'm not hurting. I was like, praise God. I'll leave. 
So now my faith is kind of, you know, stirring up. And I said, I believe another thing that God wants to do is if there's somebody here that has problem in your ankles with, and there's plates and screws involved with broken bones, uh, we'd like to pray for you. So I remember three or four people come forward. Now, as I went down and was praying with each other, none of them had ankle problems that didn't seem to fit. But you just do your best. I prayed my prayer. Now, when I called that out, there was a lady standing by her husband. He elbowed her, and this is why he elbowed her. A week before, one week before that night, she had gone to her orthopedic surgeon. The reason she was seeing him is, I forget, it was either a hip or a knee. I think it was a knee replacement that she had had. She'd been under his care, and it was the final visit. She'd had it done. She was doing good. And she had nine years prior to that had fallen and severely broken her ankle. They put a titanium plate and eight screws. And they locked her ankle where she lost plantar flexion. Y'all understand what I mean by that? Plantar flexion, it, her ankle doesn't do that no more. It's fused together, held together with eight titanium screws and plates. So when she went upstairs, she could not plantar flex. She had to bring the good and then bring the injured foot up and the stack of step and bring the injured foot up. So that was her life. Her feet, her, her feet swelled from time to time. And so she asked that orthopedic surgeon at that last visit, she said, well, you know, knees and all that. Stuff. I want to ask you about my ankle. Can you go in and take these plates and screws out? And uh, he said, yes, I could do that. But he said, uh, if you're trying to get movement again, it wouldn't change that. Your bones are fused. You're not going to get that back. She said, well, I thought it might help with the swelling, you know, because my feet swell and I can't wear certain shoes I want to wear. And he said, no, can't guarantee that either. He said, the trauma of me going in and taking all that out wouldn't be worth, you know, the slight chance of any improvement. Okay, I'm just asking. So one week later, she's at her church, and her pastor calls out plates and screws. When I called it out, her husband elbowed her and said, you need to go up there for prayer. Let him pray for you. This is what she said. God can heal me right here because she's a shy person. She don't like to be up front around people. And she said later, I, I didn't know all this till later, the next day, but she said when she said, God can heal me right here, as soon as she said that statement of faith, her ankle begin to tingle and get hot. That's always a good sign. She didn't even tell her husband. They go home from church. He went on in. She said, I'm going to pet the animals, the dog, cat, whatever it was. He said, oh, I won't put on a pot of coffee. They always like to say, drink coffee late at night. And uh, he says, a lie that keeps people up. It was, anyway. And so after a few moments, he said, he went back out and he said, why don't you, what you doing out here? And his wife said to him, watch this. And she walked up the steps to their house like a normal person because she was totally healed by the power of God. And, and, and her plantar flexion was, was returned. Now, I, of course, I, as pastor, didn't know none of this had occurred. I just prayed the prayer, said the words, believe God. The next morning at 7.30, my phone began to ring. And it was the husband calling to tell me all that I have just told you. In fact, I didn't answer the call first time because I was in the shower. And then I was like, I asked my wife, who's calling this early? Because that's kind of a, you, nobody's calling for good news normally late or early. I'm like, who's calling so early? And, and she told me the guy's name. I'm like, what's he calling so early for? And then I got out and by 8 o'clock, I'm getting a second call. And he's on the phone, and he tells me the story that I just shared with all of you. Everything I told you, he told me. And he said, you know, Brother Dale, he said, and he was like a little kid. And this is a thing that I, I, as a pastor, I want for every one of you. I want it for my real kids, I want it for my grandkids, and I want it for you, my spiritual kids. I want to see your face blown away by the power of God, just the goodness of God, the love of God. I want you to be speechless because of God's manifested goodness of his kingdom. I want you to experience that. I want you to taste of that. I want you to be wrecked and, 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 and ruined in such a good way by that. 
He told me all that. He said, you know, we went in the house and when we realized she was healed, he said, we laughed, we cried, we danced, we praised God, and then we started it all over and laughed and cried. And he said, we've been up just about all night. He said, Brother Dale, you know, you just don't see this. But then you see it, but you just don't see it. He was talking like a crazy person to me. I don't know if it was lack of sleep or I think it was just absolute sheer excitement over the power of God healing his wife. And yet, between those two paradigms, between a little finger and something that I considered in my ministry had never experienced before, something like plates and screws. You know, my curiosity from a medical standpoint, I wanted to have her go get, and get, get an x-ray. It's like the screws and all still there. Uh, how does this work? How does that, you know, I, I just want to see. That's just my way I am. But, and then I go home to a son that is still has a heart problem. Still has it. And if I'm not careful and I listen to the wrong voice and focus on the wrong thing, I begin to say, well, God, you're not good. You tell me that you're a God that cares about this woman's little old finger that ain't worth hardly nothing playing, praying for that. Wasn't even a big deal. And I've prayed to you so many times and I've anointed my son and I've laid my hands on him for him to be healed and not suffer as a little teenager with a heart problem and have to ride in the back of ambulances and be shot with paddles and go through all that he's gone through. And you didn't do that. What kind of God are you? And if I reach the conclusion that God just arbitrarily chose to heal this one and that one and then ignore my son, then I got a problem with the definition of goodness. But one thing that I've learned, I have refused now to allow my heart to go to that area of depression, doom, and despair because that is the lie of the enemy. And I don't have the answers, and I don't understand the mystery, and I don't know why that it hadn't manifested yet in my son. And then here, lo and behold, three years ago, here I come along and I'm diagnosed with heart problems. My aortic valve begins to quit working properly. Blood starts backing up in my heart, won't, won't expel the blood out properly. And the doctor looks at me and says, your heart, we've, it's enlarged your heart as large as we can allow it to get. You know what I did? I believed God for total manifested healing in my body. And as pastor of this church, I wanted to model that for you. I wanted to be healed totally. Yes, for me but yes for you. I wanted to make a few laps around the auditorium just for the joy of the healing manifested. And I wanted that to, to boost your faith and, and your encouragement in whatever you're suffering with, it, that God is the God that is the healer. But time went along and months went along and ICU visits by me went along and it didn't happen. And I kept all that extremely private to the point that most of you had no idea until the day you got the letter and I was being operated on that day. Not because that makes me great, but I'm just, I just didn't want to burden you. My staff knows me well. Pastor Johanna knows me well. There were several nights, several times that I would be standing in the pulpit preaching and teaching and I would go into atrial fibrillation right before you. It was one time I had to hold on to the pulpit to remain standing. One night I was teaching on grace and the end of the world, and I went into atrial fibrillation. And I don't mean like some people where my heart went up just a few beats. I mean, I'm tacking out like 160, 180. When I, I drove myself to the cardiologist, I was 212 beats a minute. He said, my God, how did you even make it? They took one look at me in the office, in the cardiologist's office, and put me in a wheelchair, and the nurses ran me next door to the emergency room. So that's why my son sent me that last night. He said, Dad, this kind of reminds me of me and you. Kind of have these things we don't understand, don't we, Daddy? He said, well, we do, son. But one thing I've told him and one thing he knows, God's good. 
God's not the author of this. You know, when your son looks at you and goes, Daddy, why can't I be normal? Why can't I be like even my brother and my sister? They don't have problems like this. Why? I don't know all the why, son. But what we're faced with is right now. And instead of looking for somebody or something to blame, you know, like the, you know, when I way first diagnosed me, I, I thought, well, how did I get this? And I was talking to my doctor. I said, how in the world? I mean, all of a sudden I was healthy as a horse. I thought, and all of a sudden I come up here now, I got a heart, aortic valve going bad on me. And he said, you know, that's your high pressure valve, so don't think about that they can, you know, do it through the groin or something. This is open heart, open chest surgery here. Okay. Lucky me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right. I tell you, you know. I'm going to go for the big valve. You know what I'm saying? And I, I remember saying, well, how in the world did I get this? And even my own medical doctor, I remember he put his hand on me. He said, listen, cardiologist. He said, listen, what does it matter? He said, we're not going to waste time trying to figure out why you got it. The fact is you got it. We got to do something about it. He said, so let's focus on that. That's what, that was my cardiologist talking to me. And I held in there for not about another year waiting for the healing to the point that my cardiologist got really angry with me. And one time he said, you want to see them grandbabies live, grow up? He said, you better get your butt to Atlanta. He said, because you, you're approaching where we'll have to do a heart transplant on you. Because you're going to let this damage keep going to your heart. won't be no good to get a new valve. He said, now you need to get. And he said, now I'm tired of telling you. I'm glad he talked to me that way. So I went to Emory. And on Friday, I talked with a doctor that afternoon, me and my wife. He said, you're one of the worst cases I've ever seen. He said, you'll be back here Tuesday. I'm going to make room for you. <laughs> he said, we're going to be operating on you Wednesday morning. We've got to get this fixed. I'm so thankful for doctors and nurses. I'm so thankful that I've not had atrial fibrillation not one time since I've had an open surgery. I'm so thankful that the quality of life and the, is so much better. Who do I give glory to God? Because God's the one that gives the wisdom. God's the one that gives the skills and the ability. And so I don't care necessarily really how the healing comes and I don't, and it, listen, we, we try to put healing and everything in the realm of religion. Listen, God wants the same thing you want. He wants you well. That's why he suffered stripes on his back. God loves you. God's good. And you have to make this decision now when it's, you know, whatever this time is in your life. But let's say you're not going through something like that. But you have to decide now and believe, not just decide here, but believe in here that God's good. And don't entertain anything because, listen, if you get into those zones and you start entertaining that God is not good and that maybe God arbitrarily just healed this person but he's going to keep me sick for whatever, then, then I want to tell you, then you're going to just go right in the pit. And you're going to be confused. You're, you, you're, going, to have a, you're, going, you're going to be that depressed Christian because you, 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 you're warring. You don't even want to go to that God to pray to him because you don't think he's all that good really. But you're afraid to say that he's not good because who else are you going to appeal to? What other God are you going to start worshiping? I mean, who are you going to beyond? If you dump him, where are you going? You know what I'm saying? So you have to reconcile in your heart. And you do that by staying in the word of God and reading. And there's over 300 verses that talk about the goodness of God. Old and New Testament. God is good. He's good all the time. God's not the author of your pain, your trauma, your confusion. And so in that realm of mystery, I don't understand. I don't have all the answers. I wanted to see my daddy healed. I've seen miracles. I've seen healing. I've seen cancer healed. I've seen cancer healed in under my hand in this church, stage four cancer healed right in here. Howard knows what I'm talking about. Totally healed. And, and he, the power of God, we, we saw Brother Hill, didn't we, how? Stage four, he said. He got stage four cancer. He's healed, been healed, walking in health and healing. 
And I've seen God do it. And when it comes to my dad, I want to see God heal him of that dimension. No. But I don't have all the answers. But I'm not going to let that fuel unbelief and doubt toward the goodness of God. But I want to tell you, a lot of Christians do. You cannot hold God hostage to one moment in life, in one situation that didn't go like you wanted it to go. I'm asking you today, I'm talking to somebody, release that. Don't hold God accountable for that one event, that thing that didn't happen like you want to and didn't come up with an opinion of God, his character, and who he is because that's a, fall, uh, it's a false view of God. It's a, it's a lie. I don't know why everything didn't manifest, but there, there's more to this realm than you and I can see with our natural eyes. Here we're trying to resist a virus that we cannot see. We cannot smell it. We cannot see it. And, and it's just like blind men groping in the dark. I mean, that's, I mean but, you, you know, you don't, you, there's things we don't see. There's spiritual things we don't understand. But I want to say this to you. You can stand with full confidence. Jesus paid the price for it all. He's paid for all. So he forgives you of all your iniquities, and he heals all of your diseases. There's not one disease. Well, I'm not healing it. No, no. And listen. And I end with this. Your view of God must come from the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge you and end with this. You'll never find, in other words, I've always said this to you. What you believe about God, if you can't prove it in the life of Jesus, you need to call it into to doubt. If you, in other words, don't come up with it. Don't take me to Job. I'm not a disciple of Job. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Job is the question. Jesus is the answer. Okay? So, so Job's in the Bible, it's there for a reason. But that doesn't form my th theology of God. Jesus is the invisible God made visible. Jesus is the exact representation. And so show me one person that Jesus ever left sick. One person that ever came to him in the New Testament that said, Master, I want healing, that he ever left sick. Show me one person that Jesus ever gave a disease to. Show one. Show me one storm that he ever blessed, one earthquake that he ever sent. One, none of that. You cannot say, show that in the life of Jesus. And if you can't show it to me in Jesus, I'm not interested. I'm just simply not going to input information into my brain that is contradictory to the goodness of God and the love of God that is displayed through his son, Christ Jesus. I'm not going to entertain it. I'm not going to focus on it. I'm not going to talk to you about it. And I'm not going to get down into miry clay in the pit and wallow with you over it. I'm not going to discuss it with you. God's good. Case settled. Dismissed. Move on. Well, what? No, I'm not going there. I'm going to believe God for the best. I'm going to pray the best prayer. You know, and so e even a little thing last night when, when, when they were talking about all those people got healed, and that's his son sitting right there, and he's not healed. And, and, uh, he, and so the, Bill said that they had came back from a revival, and they were having a staff meeting, which his son's in the meeting. And, 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 some, and one of the things that happened tremendously was deaf people got healed in that meeting. And so he was almost reluctant to give the testimony because there sits his deaf son. But in the meeting, he said, X, Y, Z, the number of people got healed of deafness. And there sits his son. And, he, and Bill said he looked over at his son after he'd given that testimony, all these deaf people got healed. And he's looking over at a deaf son. You know what his son did? This boy just touched my heart. His son held up his finger and said, I'm one day closer, Daddy, to mine. I'm just one more day closer to mine. And see... That's the kind of healthy view that's called faith in a person. That's called still believing in the goodness of God. And irregardless of what goes on, and we're not going to be able to explain everything, but that's why we need faith. But it's faith in a person. My faith is not in him healing me. My faith is in him. And out of that, my healing can come. I've seen God heal. I've seen God manifest his power. I've seen God do awesome, wonderful things. And he, he'll do it for all of us. We need to lay hands on the sick. We're a church that still believes in that. So if you're sick, what about the virus? Listen, something really changed when Jesus came. I'm just saying, if you want prayer from me, you come up here. I'll lay my hands on you. I ain't scared of you. Uh, I'm, I ain't scared of you. I, I mean... I've had to keep going through the whole thing. What do you think? I mean, I can't. I'm the pastor. I can't sit at the house. But in the old the old system, if they was leprosy, you you stay away from them. But when Jesus came, he touched the leper, and Jesus didn't get leprosy. They got what Jesus had, which was healing.
Everything changed when Jesus came. And Jesus is still the same, and the gospel is still the same gospel. And it is not a gospel in word only, but it's a gospel like Paul preached in power and in demonstration. And I've seen that power and demonstration, and I would love to see much more of it. And we would see more of it if we would stretch and reach out for more of it. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means it's within our reach. So what do we as believers do? When you have an opportunity, you pray for the sick. You lay hands on the sick. It don't say that they'll all get an instant miracle, but it says they will recover. So lay hands on them and declare what it says. You shall recover. Who, why you can, how can you say that? Because I'm not saying that. I'm just repeating what God said. God said, if I as a believer would lay hands on the sick, you sick, I'm laying hands on you, shall recover. When am I going to recover? I don't know. might be today. maybe good tomorrow. You're going to recover, though, because God says you are. So I rebuke this disease. I command it as an enemy of the cross. I stand here to, to enforce as an ambassador for Christ the price that has been paid on your behalf. And so in the name of Jesus, I rebuke this disease, and I declare healing in the name of Jesus. And you say that whether you feel it or not. You say it in faith, and you declare the word of God. You don't have to have me to pray for you. You don't have to have the certain person. Believers have the same Holy Spirit. It's all the same. Just believe. Amen? Stand with me. God bless you. Are you encouraged a little bit, maybe? Just a little bit? Anybody kind of feel like, I want to go out and find me somebody to sit and pray for them? Just want to, okay, man, I better not see nobody sick where I'm going out to eat. I tell you. We love you guys. And, uh, don't be discouraged. We all got things, you know, somebody wrote me this week and they said, you know, Pastor, thank you for just being transparent and sharing your heart and what you go through because it helps us. It helps us. Y'all don't want no fake preacher, right? I mean, I, man, I tell you my stuff and I, we go through difficult. I don't understand everything. Man, can't you tell though that I really deep down in my heart, I love God? I, I've been doing, I told God on what a church, but Papa, I've been doing this a long time for you now. And I know I hadn't earned nothing as far as my, but that's got to be worth something. And, I, and, I, I'm, I'm, and I'm just totally open to whatever. I've seen signs, wonders, miracles. I've seen God do. And see, I want you blown away like that. My wife remember this little girl that's now a married lady, and I did her wedding. And uh, remember when she had her thumb. Wasn't it the one I married? Of them three girls. And they're all grown women now with kids of their own. Or she don't have kids yet, this one, last one I'm talking about. But she hurt her thumb. She fell doing gymnastics. And, she, and, and how old was she then? You remember? Five, six, seven. And she came to church. And she'd heard pastor preach about all this stuff. And she, and she had been to the doctor, to the merch room. And it, I mean, her thumb was just black. All the way, the nail, the, all, the whole thumb. I mean, it and, but she had a little cast plastic thing over it and had it wrapped up. The merch room did all that. And so that night I was talking about stuff like this. And here she comes up where her mama brought her up. And she said, I want you to pray for her. Man, I felt like I was just like, ah. you know, I was just, I don't know, I pray for anything, not glory to God. And so I, I looked at that bandage, you know, and I couldn't see what it was. And I told them what happened. They said she was doing gymnastics. She fell on and it bent it all the way and stuff. And, and, um, and so I said, well, take the bandage off. I'm a man of God. I said, take the bandage off. <laughs> and uh, I had people all gathered around going to pray with the little girl with me. You know, Man, she took the bandage on, off. I wanted to say, put the bandage back on. Because, <laughs> man, that thing looked nasty. And my wife, you standing right there. And we all prayed and laid our hands. It wasn't an instant 30-second prayer, but it wasn't no hour prayer. But we just prayed and stood and prayed for that little girl. And I remember I was holding her thumb in my hand. And instantly before my eyes, before her eyes, before her mama's eyes, the girl herself and everybody standing around, we watched the blood drain right out of it and turn normal color. Right before our eyes. That's the truth. Now the thing that I take away, and I've seen God do much bigger than that, but the thing I take away out of that that means more to me than anything is the look on that little girl's face when she experienced God. And, and she's a grown woman today, and I promise you, you can't ever talk her out of that. She, she, she lived it. 
And I remember when that when I saw that blood drain out and that uh, came back to normal, and I, I said, "Bend it." <laughs> Might as well test it, right? She grabbed it and just folded it around and bent it every which way, no pain, nothing. And I'm talking about we was having what's called revival. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we were excited right there. And so was everybody else. You know what that little thumb did? It made other people believe God for things in their life. God cares. And I think the message and the miracle for me that day with the little finger to the broke bones is God said, I'm concerned about everything in their lives. I'm concerned about the little fingers, the little things in their life, the little things in your life that you might even think are not worthy of prayer. I'm concerned about the little things. If it matters to you, it matters to God, the little things. And I'm concerned about the big things, stuff that is medically impossible, stuff, impossibilities that can't be. Yes, they can be to them that have faith. All things are possible. So God says from one spectrum to another, I'm concerned about everybody. If it's little, I'm concerned. If it's major, I'm concerned. That's the takeaway. God's not wasn't saying to me, I'm not concerned about your son. God was trying to say, I am concerned. Well, why didn't he get manifest the healing? I don't know. But I know it's not to be to blame on God. Because he suffered stripes for our healing. He didn't do it for fun. He didn't do it to play. He did it to pay. By his stripes, you were healed. The manifestation sometimes is stubborn, getting it here. But just stand in faith. Stand in the word of God. Keep speaking the word of God. Walk in faith. Don't entertain the spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief. Amen? I already told you I love you. I'll tell you one more time. I love you in Jesus' name. We're praying for you. Thank you for all of you coming back. Crowd's getting bigger every Sunday. Glory to God. You're looking good today. I appreciate it. That encourages me. And uh, we've got people I talked to a lady yesterday. I said, stay home. I told her to stay because of the things that she shared with me. She, she said, Pastor, I just want you to know. She said, am I thinking right? I said, you're thinking right. Please stay home. And uh, I love you. I don't want you here in peril of yourself. Or you No, know, I love you. And we love you. Uh, now support us. Support us on, you know, financially and support us and let us know. And I know people say, well, you know, I had somebody yesterday, day before yesterday, say, well, you know, Facebook, it kind of does this, cuts out, whatever. Well, just more reason to hurry up and get back here when you can. Because <laughs> it don't cut out in here much. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, Father, we love you. What a great God we serve. Thank you that we're loved by you. I pray healing for every person that is sick. We rebuke those diseases, Lord God, that you've already paid for. For by your stripes they were healed. We declare the healing power of Jesus Christ. We declare the forgiveness of all sin and iniquity has been paid. May we draw from that price that was paid on the cross in Jesus' name. God bless you. We love you.